we are in interesting times. And uh, this coronavirus uh, situation has had my mother calling me almost every day. My mother never calls me <laughs> every day, but she's been calling me. And uh, she called me uh, three, four days ago. She says, Henry, I've been told that, you know, garlic is good for you, especially with this coronavirus. So please take it seriously, and I want you to go to the store, and I want you to buy garlic. I said, Mommy, Ma, I don't call her Mommy, I said, Ma, I'm going to go to the store. In fact, I'm going to do it today and buy the garlic. So I go to my fridge, I open it up, I open up the fridge, and there, there was garlic. So I called her, I said, Ma, I got garlic in my house. She said, okay. Then yesterday, she calls me again, she says, Henry, are you drinking the garlic? I said, yeah, Ma, I'm drinking the garlic. But the reality is this. That this coronavirus situation has had me thinking about the reality of life. And that is that life is really beyond our control. Now, if there's anything you need to know about this coronavirus is that it's not new. It's just another strand of an old problem. <laughs> All right, you're going to get that in a minute. It's another strand of an old problem. So this coronavirus is going to continue to show up in our lives. And that's how problems are in our lives. And sometimes it feels as if life is beyond control. Are you, are you understand what I'm saying? Let me put it a little closer to you. None of you chose the families in which you were born in. You had no say in who your daddy dated. You had no say in whom your mother dated. You had no say in who your siblings would be. Right? Some of you have been thrust in a position, maybe at work, that you didn't anticipate. And therefore, you must carry this position. You know what I'm saying? For some of you, maybe your parents passed away. And therefore, you had to be the older sister or the big brother. Life sometimes feels, uh, feels as if it's beyond control. And the question I want to ask us is, do we just allow life... To kind of move us along you know how it is when you are in a in a grab car right it's the driver who is driving he takes you places are you understand what i'm saying he he's leading you places you have no say when he stops you have no say when he turns are you understand what i'm saying sometimes life feels as if we are passengers but the question is should we should should we just be passengers or do we or can we take control of the situation in which we are in. And so I want to talk about beyond control. And uh, I want to go to the uh, text of scripture this morning. Uh, Genesis chapter 9 verse uh, 24. And I want to read from that passage. And when I read the, the text of scripture, usually when I preach, I like to actually stand and, and, and read the word. And so if you'd be so kind to join me in standing as we read God's word together. Genesis chapter 9. Verses 20 to 28. Verses 20 to 28. Genesis chapter 9, verses 20 to 28. Kindly join me in standing. If you be so kind, be so kind. It makes me a little more comfortable when I see God's people joining me in, in, in standing. I'll just ask the music, just take a tad bit, a tad bit down, a tad bit down. Thank you. Thank you. Genesis chapter 9 and verse number 20. The word of God says, 
and Noah became a husband man. That means he became a, a farmer. And he planted a vineyard. And he drank of the wine and was drunken. And he was uncovered within his tent. That's, that's what happens when you drink. You, you lose control. <laughs> beyond control. That's, that's, a, that's a theme right there. Verse 22 says, And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw that the nakedness of his father, saw the nakedness of his father, and told his brethren without. And Shem and Japheth took a garment, and laid it upon both their shoulders and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father and their faces were, were backward and they saw not the nakedness of their father. And Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done unto him. And he said, catch this, Blessed be the Lord God of Shem and Canaan shall be his servant and God shall enlarge Japheth, and he shall dwell in the tents of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. And Noah lived after the flood 350 years. The sermon is called a generational curse. A generational curse. Let us pray. Let us pray. Father, this moment is yours. Take it. Use me, bless my brother, bless my sister. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. A generational curse is a specific pattern of behavior. Don't miss that. That is deposited into the family where family members will be more predisposed to repeating it because of heightened exposure. Uh, allow me to make it more simple for you. A generational curse is a root beneath the surface that manif manifests itself in bad fruit. You won't get that in a minute. So I want you to think with me for a moment. A generational curse is something that is deeply rooted. Everybody say rooted. Everybody say rooted. It is something that is deeply rooted. It is underneath the ground. But it shows up in bad fruit. It's a tree that has roots that show up in bad fruit. So a generational curse can show up in the fruit of alcoholism. It can show up in the fruit of teen pregnancy. It can show up in the root of, in the fruit of divorce. These are the symptoms of a generational curse. They, they simply show what is beneath the surface. Even biblical families struggled and suffered from generational curses. There was a man, you might know him, his name Abraham. This brother goes to Egypt, and when he goes to Egypt, 
he lies that Sarah is his wife. And then he does it the second time. He lies that Sarah is his wife uh, to Abimelech, the king of Gerar. His son Isaac also lies that uh, Rebekah is his wife. And then his son Jacob lies to him that he is the older son and he robs his brother of the, of the birthright. But then his uncle lies to him about his wife. Instead of giving him Rachel, he gave him Leah. And then his sons, all oh his sons, his sons lied to him about Joseph being killed. I'm talking about generational curses. I'm talking about things that are, that are rooted, that manifest themselves in our families. It is a, a pattern of behavior. And perhaps in your family, there is a, such a pattern. You have noticed, so oh, my grandfather divorced, my mother divorced, and, and I am on the brink of divorce. I have noticed, oh, uh, so-and-so got pregnant early, and, and then the auntie got uh, pregnant early, and then I'm on the brink of pregnancy. Oh, no, no, wait, 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 wait. Uh, my, my, my grandfather was a gambler, and my, my dad became a gambler, and, and now I'm a gambler. Oh, oh my, my family was always in debt, and, 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 and then there's debt, and then I'm in debt. And so there is this pattern that is defining a particular family. And that's what a generational curse is. And some of us, we are dealing with such things like that. They are, th these are what are called seeds that are planted by previous gener generations. Those who have gone before you have done certain things that have put things in your life that have made your life a little bit more difficult and you are suffering today because of what they did. And so we have a man, his name, we call him uh, Noah. And before I talk about Noah for, for a moment, uh, what I want to do today is very, very simple. And I, I want to go to the root of that. I want to go to the root. What is the root of these generational curses? Where do they come from? How come you see yourself? How come you see your family struggling and suffering in these situations? How come it seems like you can never get ahead? How come it seems like there's always issues? What is the root of that? And that's what I want to do uh, today. So we are presented with a man called Noah. I've been told that I need to stay up there, so I'll keep moving up and down. But we are presented with a man called Noah. Noah. You know Noah. Noah was the brother who preached the gospel for 120 years. He told people, repent and turn to God. He preached and he preached. And the only souls that he won to God were his own family members. That means that his evangelism rate, his success rate was 0%. <laughs> Only his family went into the ark. This man Noah, he guided his family through the flood. This man Noah, he guided his, these animals through the flood. And so after 40 days, the Bible says, they came out of the flood. And, and Noah with his family, as his, his, his pattern was, he, he praised the Lord. And he says, you know what, Lord, thank you for being with me. Thank you for showing up. Thank you for blessing me. I am now done with this life of ministry. I now want to take, take a chill pill. Come on now, follow what I'm saying. He says, Lord, thank you for being with me, but now it's time for me to relax. And so the Bible says, Noah, he planted a garden. 
He planted a garden. And the garden was a vineyard. And I want you to see what, what, what is going on in this particular passage. Because when Lot, Noah plants a garden, Noah is actually acting and he's actually following the footsteps of Adam. The Bible says Adam was created from the ground and he was made to till from the ground. And because he was made to till from the ground, he was doing the purpose of God. And so the Bible says God planted a garden in Eden and, and he planted this garden in Eden and he put Adam in charge of this garden. Don't miss what I'm saying. Follow closely. And so Adam, we call him Adam, he was created from the ground, Adama. He is working the ground, telling me that he is doing the, the intended purpose of God. He is doing the thing that God has created him to do. And so when Noah is doing this act of planting a garden, he is actually doing the original purpose of mankind. I don't know who this is for, but my brother and my sister, hear me very carefully. You are going to be happy in life when you are doing the thing that God has created you to do. Okay, you're not getting it. It's going to make sense. Some of you were not created to be lawyers. Some of you were not created to be doctors. Some of you were not created to be preachers. Some of you were not created to be businessmen. But because you insisted and, and you want to do that, yes, do that, but you're frustrated. Every day you go to work, it's a rat race. Every day you go to work, you don't wake up feeling good about yourself. You wake up feeling sad about yourself. I got to do this again. But Noah plants a garden because he understood that even though I am out of the ark, I'm out of active ministry, I still need to do the purpose that God has called me to do. So he planted a garden. He planted a garden and, and I love this because, because it, it, it shows me that purpose is really invested in doing the things that God has called you to do. But there's a problem. Because what I see Hear me carefully. What I see is that we have Eden being replayed in this situation. Noah has come out of the ark. It's a brand new world. The sinners are destroyed. There is no more sin. Right? And so everything is perfect. Noah has settled in. But here we find a problem. The Bible says Noah drank wine. And because he drank wine, the Bible says he got drunk. Follow me carefully. How is this man who has preached the gospel for so long? How is this man who has led people for so long? How does he find himself drunk? The Japanese would tell us that uh, first the man takes a drink, then the drink takes the man. Allow me to put it to you like this. You cannot be in control of the situation, especially if the situation is a sinful situation. Allow me to put it in another way. Noah was doing the purpose of God, but somehow sin found him in the purpose of God. Could it be that sometimes, even when we do things for God, the right thing, is we're trying to do what God has called us to do, yet we find ourselves falling down because sin has caught us. And so I'm here to tell you, my brother, my sister, yes, God destroyed those sinful people. Yes, God took them away, but sin was still alive. Sin was still there. 
I saw my brother and my sister, even though that God destroyed uh, the, the, the sinners and God took them away, but the problem that was, had, had been created was still there and it still existed. And so here is a, a very disturbing thing because when Lamech gave Noah the name Noah, you know what he was thinking to himself? He said, you know what? Noah, this young man Noah is going to bring us comfort. Not you, Dickie. <laughs> this young man Noah is going to give us comfort. He's going to help us out because he is the solution. But here the one who was supposed to be a solution is actually the problem. He becomes the first drunk ever in the world. So all of you who struggle with alcohol, you can blame Noah because Noah is the guy who started it all. Noah is the problem. And so he was supposed to be doing something for God. He was supposed to be in the purpose of God, but sin finds him anyway. And so my brother and my sister, sometimes you're wondering to yourself, I want to serve God. I don't want to do this, but why do I still struggle with judgmentalism? Why do I still struggle with doubt? Why do I still struggle with this and that? That's because sin is still alive. And here we see a man who has done well, but yet he trips up. You see... Apparent spiritual victory in the past does not guarantee a spiritual victory in the present or in the future. You know what some of us do? <laughs> I prayed last year. I, I used to serve God. You know, when I, when I was young, I used to serve God. Um, you know, I was very active in church. I was doing pathfindering and, and I, I was doing Bible study. You know, I, I, was, I, I was good. You know, we, we, we ride the, the, the glory horses of the past. Are you following what I'm saying? But here, Noah shows us that you cannot depend on the past to strengthen you in the present. You need a fresh spiritual strength for the moment. You need a, a fresh spiritual strength for this present situation. You cannot depend on the strength of yesterday. Uh, tell me something. Can you depend on the food of yesterday to keep you unhungered today? You have to eat new food today. Are you understand what I'm saying? And so Noah, when he took a step back from active ministry, when he took a step back from serving the Lord actively, he, he chilled, he became relaxed, and so his spiritual alertness became numbed. And some of us, we serve God and we, we do the things of the Lord, but in the course of time, we, we give up. And I want to talk to those people that tell me all the time, Pastor, it is for the young people. Let them do that. Look at Noah. Look at Noah. This man should have continued serving the Lord. You are never too old to serve God. Amen. Don't tell me passages for the young people. No. As long as you're a child of God, you need to serve God. So you cannot ride on the coattails of yesterday. But this is what I'm beginning to see and what I'm trying to help you to understand is that what the Bible is trying to teach us about this situation, the root of these generational curses are really rooted in sin. They are really rooted in the situation that Adam and Eve put us in in the first place. Don't follow what I'm saying. Follow what I'm saying. You see, I need you to understand that sin travels. Sin travels. Sin travels from generation to generation. Can you not see it? That Noah replicates a garden and yet within the garden he falls. He eats the fruit through drinking it. 
So he tells me that from generation to generation, sin is moving. And so here it is. I just want to put, put it to you like this. You see, sin starts from parents. Adam and Eve were parents. And when they started this problem, it infected their son. And then it infected Cain. I mean, not, not Cain. It infected Noah and everyone else. And so sin starts from a parent. And so hear me. Let me put it to you like this. My brother and my sister, parents especially, be careful. Be careful. You are setting the path for your kids. The things that you do. How you do those things are going to affect your kids either positively or negatively. And here we see that the sin of Eve affects even Noah. Noah is in a garden doing the purpose that God called him to do, but yet he is committing sin. And sin affects everyone. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter your educational background. It doesn't matter how smart you are. Sin affects everyone, especially giants of faith. So don't be surprised when you see Pastor Henry committing a sin. Don't be surprised. Are you understand what I'm saying? Wait, Pastor, you're also human like me? Yes, I'm human like you. So when I make a mistake, it's because I'm human like you. Don't be surprised when you hear so-and-so stole money from the church. Don't be surprised when you hear so-and-so cheated on their wife because sin affects everybody. And you and me are everybody. We are all in the same boat. And sin, what sin does is like Cain, like Noah, it leaves you naked and it leaves you uncovered. Sin takes things away from you. And so allow me to put it to you like this. You see, why I'm telling you this is that we need to learn how to do a root cause analysis. What is a root cause analysis? Do you know a root cause analysis is to ask why questions. Right? So let's take teen pregnancy for a second. You ask the question, why? Now, we might conclude, oh, this person got pregnant because, well, they were careless and, and they did stupid things and they got pregnant. You might conclude that. When you ask the why question, you might discover this person got pregnant because they didn't receive love from their father. And because they didn't receive love for their father, they got into that situation. But why didn't the father give the daughter love? Well, because he never learned love from his father who didn't know how to treat women right. Right? And then how did his father... That didn't treat him, that didn't teach him how to treat women, right? How did his father get the problem? You, you discover that, oh, it's, it's, it's there, it's, it's going on and on, and it's going on and it's on and on. And then you begin to discover, oh, the real problem is that love was lacking in this situation. Why I'm telling you this is that you need to look at your life. Look at your life carefully. Why am I doing this? Why do I continue to fall in this? And so when you're asking those why questions, then you're going to begin to understand that, the, oh, yeah. There is the problem. And many of us have not yet understood that. And that is why we continually fall into the same problems. We continually commit the same mistakes because we haven't understood the why. And hear me put it to you another way. You see, uh, what it tells me is that we need to be careful that we don't put ourselves in environments that predispose us to those problems. So you know that your problem is uh, alcohol. Why are you going to go to the bar? You get what I'm saying? You know that your problem is social media. Why are you going to get on social media when you should be studying? You know that your problem is gossip. Why are you going to get among friends who gossip a lot? 
So when you do a root cause analysis, you're going to begin to discover and see that, oh yeah, here is my problem. And many of us need to learn how to do a spiritual root cause analysis. And when we can do that, my brother, my sister, hear me carefully, we're going to find a way to break the curse, these generational curses, because the root of these generational curses is sin. Because you see, you need to understand something. Sin is a generational curse that... uh, Satan likes to manipulate you. He likes to use it against you. And so we read that Ham saw the nakedness of his father. Ham saw the nakedness of his father. I began to understand something. That Ham most likely was predisposed to voyeurism or we can call him a peeping town. It was a spirit in him. And so the devil says, ah, I got, I got my man. I got my agent. I don't know why he went to see Noah or, or that day. Maybe he wanted to talk about a business plan or ask advice on whom he should be dating or some kind of advice to, to, to his father. But when he gets there, he sees that her daddy is laid out flat in his birthday suit. And so son says, oh my goodness, daddy is laid out. And he, he took a long look at daddy. And the Bible says he looked at his daddy and he goes and he tells his brothers what he saw. He saw and told. <laughs> he said, you know what? You know what I saw daddy do? <laughs> My daddy got drunk and daddy got naked. <laughs> and the brothers are like, what? You saw that? And so Satan understood that, yeah, if I can only get this guy, I got somebody who I can use. And so uh, Satan understanding that this is the problem of, 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 of Ham, he used Ham. Uh, and so Satan oftentimes, he uses our tendencies against us. So yesterday I was, uh, I was working on the sermon. And, uh, you know, I just sat down. Like, I just sat down. I, I was hanging clothes and... And, and, and I, was, I was hanging them nicely. I washed and, you know, I was good. They were f- fresh, you know, and, and the wind was blowing nicely left and right. And um, I sit down on the desk and I start to work. Man, my rack fell. You know what came out of my mouth? <laughs> the words a pastor shouldn't be saying. Right? But I want you to understand that before I became a pastor, I could never say a sentence without a curse word. If you see me play basketball, I struggle with that sometimes. I said, I struggle with that. And if I find myself listening to hard rap, yo, mm, 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 yeah, I, 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 I lose it. And I start saying things I shouldn't be saying, but I praise the Lord that I, 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 I broke that. But that is always my problem. And some of you are predisposed to certain things. If you only touch that little alcohol, hey, it's over. You're going to be flat out naked. Some of you, if it's him, that little cigarette, puff, 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 you're going to buy a whole pack and you are stuck. And so I need you to understand that Satan understands that. And he uses that to get us on his side. When I was in college, not in college, but in high school, we used to do what we call film study. And film study was observing your opponent to see how they play, to figure out their strategy and the things that they do. I want you to see, my brother and my sister, Satan has studied your strategy. Satan knows you. (laughs) He knows what you like to listen to. He studies you. He knows what you like to hear. He studies you. He knows what motivates you. And so he just waits for the right situation to make it so that he can use you as his agent. 
And so many of us find ourselves in this situation. I don't know why I got angry. <laughs> Satan knows why he got angry because he put you in a situation to make you angry. I never thought he could say that to me. Why did he say that to me? Because that particular moment when he said that to you is <laughs> because he was using you. And so Satan knows how to manipulate us. He knows. And so the Bible says Ham saw. He saw. He saw with his eyes the negatives of his father. You see, Satan uses the senses. Some of you, it is the eyes. You just need to see it. Man, you just need to see the sister. Come on now. You just need to see her. Man, you, you, you're stuck. Ladies, you just need to hear, oh, I love you. And man, he, he blows you away. Satan understands that for some of you, it is, is, is taste. For some of you, it is touch. Whatever it is, Satan knows it. And so he understood, okay, I just need to get Ham to see. And all Satan needs to do with some of us is to get us it is to get us to that point. If only I can get him to see. If only I can get him to touch. If only I can get him to, <laughs> if I don't, I can only get him to hear. And when he gets you in that particular situation, oh, my, my brother, my sister, you are stuck. But the Bible says here, Shem and Japheth, they went backward. They didn't want to see their father naked. And so my brother, my sister, learn to take a stand against the devil. Resist him. Resist him. And he will flee from you. Many of us don't take a stand. We, we just allow Satan to run over us. But my brother and my sister, no, it doesn't have to be that way. You can break the curse. You can free yourself. And you can allow Satan to tell him, hey, Satan, it is over today. No more. I'm not going to do this no more. You can stand up for yourself. Amen. You see, Satan leads us to take advantage of others. And that's what he did with this young brother. He leads us to take advantage of others. You see, Ham took advantage of his father. You say, Pastor, how did that happen? Well, he saw his father's nakedness and he told about his father's nakedness to his brothers. He took advantage. So allow me to put it to you straight. You see, when you are taking advantage of someone to better yourself, you are being used by Satan. Sometimes you want a promotion so bad that you're going to tell something bad about your, uh, your friend so that you get the promotion and they get the demotion. <laughs> And sometimes you tell your parents, oh, so-and-so did this and this and that. So that your parents look at you as the good one and look at them as the bad one. And so sometimes we use people's sins against them. But hear me carefully. When you use people's sins against them, you are just like Satan. You're being used by him to get ahead of somebody else. Have mercy. There's nothing wrong with, there is nothing wrong with telling someone Warning someone that a person has a problem. For example, you find that uh, somebody's applying to be a teacher of kids and you discover that this teacher of kids is a predator, child predator. You should talk, right? Open your mouth and talk. And that's okay to, to talk bad about someone because you want to protect others. But if you talk bad about others because you want to get ahead of somebody else, that is a problem. You see, sin, sin is a, is, a, is a terrible thing. It's a terrible thing. Can you agree with me? It's a terrible thing, right? Sin is a terrible thing. And trying to stop sin by yourself is like taking a spoon, going to the ocean, whether it is uh, the Pacific Ocean, the Indian Ocean, and using a spoon and taking that spoon to Mars and trying to do that action to empty the ocean. 
You can't do it. Are you understand what I'm saying? It, it, it's impossible. And so that's why I want to tell you that sin is a generational curse that Jesus can break. Okay. I don't think you heard that. Let me say it another way. Sin is something that God has power over. Okay? You're not getting it yet. Sin is something that Jesus died for and because he died for it, he broke it. So sin is a generational curse that Jesus can break. And I understood this by looking at verse number 23. The Bible says, and Shem and Japheth took a garment... They took a garment and laid it upon both their shoulders and went backward. And the Bible, what did you say? And they covered the nakedness of their father and their faces were backward and they saw not their naked, the nakedness of their father. Allow me to put it to you like this. When Shem and Japheth covered their father, they acted just like God when he covered the nakedness of Adam and Eve. And when God covered the nakedness of Adam and Eve, he took skins of animals what tells me is that blood needed to be shed. And so God put it on credit that Jesus would pay the debt for you and me. <laughs> I don't know if I'm preaching. You see, God understood that one day I will do something for my people. And therefore, I'm going to put a credit <laughs> for them that Jesus is going to pay. And so when Je Ham, Shem, and Japheth covered their father, they showed their father grace. Amen. They showed their father mercy. And so you know how it is when you're taking a shower, when you're being cleaned up. You don't wear the same old clothes. You wear new clothes. You wear fresh clothes. You put on your cologne and you start feeling good. And so allow me to put it to you like this. When Jesus has washed you with his blood, when Jesus has covered you, he puts on you the robe of righteousness. Oh, hallelujah. You cannot go to H&M and buy this robe of righteousness. It cannot be a hand-me-down. It has to be something that Jesus gives you and he gives you alone. It is based on Jesus' righteousness and the fact that Jesus did what was right. And so if you say, Jesus, I accept you. Jesus says, here you go. Here is the garment you need to wear. You know how it is, some of you, when the pastor has prayed for you. He's come to your home and he's blessed your home and he's visited you in the hospital. And, and later on, you know how you guys do this. You, you just come to the pastor and you, you shake his hand. Oh, I'm not supposed to shake your hand, Dickie, but it's all right. You shake his hand and there's, there's an envelope there and you give the pastor because you're appreciating what he has done. Jesus doesn't need you to appreciate him with your money. Jesus needs you to say, Lord, I accept it and I am committed to you. Hear me carefully, my brother, my sister. Many of us, we are not committed to Jesus. We are not committed to him. And therefore we still struggle with our sins. Many of us are like a child on a bicycle with wheel training. You know how it is when a child is on, on a bicycle wheel training and, and the bike is moving. Are you, are you following what I'm saying? The bike is moving, it is moving, it is moving. And the child struggles first, you know. The, the, the bike goes to the left and, and the, 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 the guard wheel is, is there to pick him up. It goes to the, right, uh, to the right and it picks him up. Eventually the child develops strength. And he can ride the bike on himself. And he goes to you and he says, Mommy, please take off the wheels because I'm grown. And many of us, we think that we are grown. That when we have started the journey with Jesus, we don't need him anymore. And so that is why our prayer life is not as strong. That is why we don't read the word of God as we should. Because we feel like we got it. 
But Jesus covers us with the robe of righteousness. And when you've been covered by the robe of righteousness, it tells me that your generation of curse of sin is broken. And here is the point, my brother and my sister. Jesus came, became a curse to break the curse of sin in our lives. Generation of curses don't need to define you. Divorce doesn't need to define you. Debt doesn't need to define you. Gambling doesn't need to define you. Disease doesn't need to define you. Because Jesus Christ broke the curse of sin when he died for your sins. And if you say today, Lord, I want it, he can cover you. Amen. Well, I'm getting to the end. I'm getting to the end, my brother, my sister. You see, the robe of righteousness has been washed in the blood of Jesus. And when you put it on, it means that you have been washed in the blood of Jesus. It tells me that your generation of curse is broken. But when Jesus covers us, he covers us to build us up, not to break us down. Jesus doesn't pay the debt so that you have an IOU. You know how some of us are? When you have paid the debt of somebody, we let them know that we did something for them. We hold it over them. I paid your debt, remember that? I did that for you, remember that? And we forget that it's only by grace that we live and we move. How sad it is. But these two names, names of the sons are very powerful. You see, Shem means name or reputation in Hebrew. So when Jesus builds you up, Jesus changes your name. <laughs> Lord have mercy. I don't know if I'm preaching to you guys. When Jesus builds you up, he changes your name. Your reputation changes. You might have been a miser and a user, but Jesus makes you honest and dependable. You might be a drunk, but Jesus changes your name and you become sober. Hey, and you say, Pastor, no, 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 Pastor, this guy, he used to beat his wife. This guy used to cheat on money. This, this, this guy, what has happened to him? He comes to church because Jesus changes your reputation. I don't know what reputation you have. I don't know what it is, but my brother and sister, Jesus Christ can change it. He can give you a new name. You can walk with your shoulders held high. Having a new name from Jesus. Amen. He wants to change your situation. In fact, the Bible says anybody who is in Christ is a new creature and a new creation. You see, I like the name Japheth. Because the name Japheth means to enlarge. Japheth means to enlarge. When you have accepted Jesus, that's what he does. He enlarges your abilities. He enlarges your influence. Who could have known that a young Malawian boy could have influence in North America, could have influence in Asia and be preaching to you right here? Who would have thought that? But Jesus enlarged me. <laughs> And Jesus is enlarging me. And some of you, Jesus wants to do that for you. Your plans are too small. Jesus wants to take you to the next level. He wants to bring you to, to the best place that he can bring you to. But you need to say, Lord, here I am. Jesus wants to change your life. He wants to bring things to a better place in your life. The generational curse is not real when you accept Jesus. It's only real when Jesus is not the center of your life. I came for with a very simple concept this morning. Since sin is our generational curse, we need the covering that Jesus provides.